in his letter, he said, just like a huge tornado swept out all over the Korean peninsula, some may, someday you may read the Korean history yourself. So again, he's always encouraging me to do what I could to learn and understand. There's just a lot of pain um, in terms of what happened. It's, it's hard to share that pain and whatnot. And so it's just something that is endured, but I think it's really important to remember and not forget and to learn um, from these stories and from the pain. Tell me, tell me, tell me what's a life? I've been feeling starstruck, seeing human love thrive in this really long dust. Guess it's really all love, seven billion of us, and I read the headlines. Tell me, tell me, tell me what's a life? It's part luck, surveillance, constructive conscience, hot sauce, blood diamonds. Everybody pitching in for red with silence. Hi, I'm Michael. And I'm Obasi. So, my friend Michael and I have come into adulthood watching our world become more and more polarized. From political polarization, to income inequality, to how we even define what is real, it feels like schism and conflict are everywhere. Like everything is coming apart. It feels like we need some type of meta-solution. Regardless of the issue, like, how do we come back together? What does it look like to make peace? And at the same time, the world hasn't literally fallen apart yet. So people must be making peace on some level. So that's where we want to start. We want to learn who's making peace and how, and how we can apply that to the rest of our world. So join us as we try to find everyday peacemakers and learn what peacemaking means to them. Each episode, we'll learn one principle of peacemaking from our guest. These are featured as a growing tribute to our guests and their wisdom at principlesofpeacemaking.org. We actually got this idea from some of the themes you're about to hear from our next guest, Jacqueline, who tells us a story of peacemaking that's been going on for generations. Jacqueline is also a very special guest because she made the artwork for our podcast, including the Giving Hands and the Plum Branch on the website, both of which are actual physical paintings, which I think is wild. Today's principle of peacemaking, peacemaking is creativity. So I'll start with when I was a kid, we're going to try to make this somewhat chronological order here. Um, so once upon a time, I was a child, and uh, I, I recall hearing about the famine in North Korea of the 90s and hearing a lot of injustices that were going on and the concept of people, a whole nation not having food was just appalling to me at this time. And so I heard this, and as a child, I came up with all these creative ideas, I guess, at the time. I was like, why don't we send planes over to drop food or sneak people in to help or sneak people out, like the Underground Railroad or something, and or send in secret messages. I was just like, there has to be a way to to do something about this. Nobody, Why is nobody talking about this? Why is nobody doing anything? And um, at the time, I was shut down by a lot of adults or mentors in my life at the time, um, teachers, what have you, who heard my ideas and whatnot. And they're just like, that's cute, but... Um, dot 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 naive and so a lot of the feedback I got at the time was just that you know it's a hopeless situation any support that you send will just go straight to the military anything you do you will fail basically and it's it's nice you care but pat you on the head it's time to give up now and go outside and play so this was super discouraging to me at the time and I felt very helpless just as those messages would make someone feel and I was also a kid, so I had no money or influence at the time. I couldn't just go out there and save the world myself. Um, but this definitely continued to weigh on my heart for a really long time. Um, 
you might be wondering why a child at this time was hearing about these stories too if um, it wasn't as well known or top of the news. But yeah, I guess I, I just care about justice and human rights in general, but also these stories are in my blood. Um, my grandparents are both from North Korea. They're both born in North Korea. Um, so we're both very fortunate to get out to go to university. So my grandmother, she studied piano, which is another hobby of mine that I like to say I took after her for perhaps. Um, but yes, this, this was a really difficult time, obviously. Her brother actually was celebrating on the rooftops when the Americans flew over to try to save them during the Korean War and was shot and killed, among others who were also doing the same, just because they were mistaken for the bad guys or whatnot. They couldn't tell the difference. Um, so her family actually was all able to get out of North Korea, as far as I know, uh, mostly because her father spoke English. He went to Northwestern in the States in the 20s, which was also very fortunate, and listened to American radio enough to know that the DMZ was in negotiation. And so he was able to sell everything that they could, um, and he was able to move their family south. So my grandmother's last wish is that she says every once in a while that she hopes to see at least one of her grandchildren get married or to be able, and or to be able to visit her homeland before she passes. And at this point, we are not entirely sure which is more likely at this point. Um, but yeah, that's definitely a hope and dream of hers for reunification or a chance to go back. She tells the stories about how beautiful her homeland was. And so it is definitely still a piece of her, a very large piece of her. My grandfather, less fortunately, um, actually lost both of his parents over the border, even though he was able to make it across. So it was definitely a time of chaos and despair for sure. And so I remember when I learned that as a kid also. I think we're having dinner together and my grandmother told me this and so that my grandfather was always really sad on mother and mother's and father's day thinking about the parents that he lost and whatnot. And so starting in about 2002 or so for a few years I was pen pals with my grandfather so it was a really special bonding experience for me because he was trying to practice English. I was trying to learn bits and pieces of Korean. My Korean is awful please don't judge <laughs> Um, but, but he tried and it was, it was really special. And so I still have copies of all these letters and I, you know, reflect on them very often. And so he, one thing that he was always encouraging me to do was to learn about Korean history someday, um, because it's not really something that I learned in my public school education very much. They didn't talk about it a whole lot. And maybe it was one little bullet point that Korean War even happened, but there's still even, I know, a lot of misunderstanding on what that war was even about, but I was going through some of these letters recently, and there's one point where I was asking him if he had a pool when he was little, and he had to explain to me, when I was little, we were going through Japanese occupation, so we weren't allowed to have our own pools and whatnot, but he was still able to spin it as like, but I also really enjoyed public pools, so that was fun, and um, and so then I would be asking him all these questions, like, why did they allow people have pools, and why did Japan rule Korea, and why why did they want to, and and he took this in stride, just saying, like, these are good questions, but the answers should really be more detailed for you to understand. And I hope you may find the answers yourself through those history books someday. Didn't you say you love history? Um, so he was always just like, yes, these are very complicated issues that I can't necessarily write to you in my second language um, or third language, actually. But he then in one of his letters was explaining to me, you know, well, Korea had two big wars in the 20th century um second world war korean war etc and many documents were destroyed and so it's really hard to find these papers on personal matters and whatnot and 
especially with the Korean War, a lot of things were were destroyed in ruins. Um, in his letter, he said, just like a huge tornado swept out all over the Korean peninsula, some may, someday you may read the Korean history yourself. So again, he's always encouraging me to do what I could to learn and understand. Um, because I think one thing that I've noticed culture is that there's just a lot of pain um, in terms of what happened. It's, it's hard to share that pain and whatnot. And so it's just something that is endured, but I think it's really important to remember and not forget and to learn um, from these stories and from the pain. So these stories are in my blood. North Korean people share my blood. And so when I think about the situation there, it's just not, I can't forget these stories or give up on them basically. So when you started talking, you were talking about helplessness and hopelessness that you were mm. feeling. Mm -hmm. And then you were also talking about chaos and despair that your grandparents were experiencing. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about that as very much not peace. Right. I think it goes back to what I was saying of like, their blood is in my blood. And so when I see stories of people suffering in North Korea or whatnot, or people overcoming suffering from North Korea, it resonates extremely deeply within me because I'm thinking that that could have been my cousin. That could have, that could have been me. And so I think that's something that is really striking to me when I think about the stories of my grandparents is that they overcame so much to escape um, or they're so fortunate um, in the ways that they were able to not be stuck on the wrong side of the border at the conclusion of the war. And so I, I can't help but feel an immense sense of gratitude and just, mm. you know, it's, it was just a lot of luck depending on which side you ended up on. And it totally transformed history depending on which side that you ended up on. And just the fact that my great grandfather spoke English and was able to get them across right before that's so fortunate and whatnot versus my grandfather's parents might not have had that access to information. And so one thing I've been doing over quarantine these past several months is uh, watching K-dramas for the first time. I, I just for some reason never got into them. I think now they're all over Netflix, so <laughs> a little easier to access. And um, one of them that became really popular a few months ago was Crash Landing on You. And it's, a, it's set in North Korea, and they talk, have really interesting perspectives on the relations between the two sides. And... One thing that I found really remarkable about it is the multidimensional view of the North Korean people that they portrayed, which is not something that you see in the media very often. And so throughout the different storylines, um, it's a great story. <laughs> um, but I just, for like the second half of the show, I was just bawling every single episode because um, the things that were happening, people I was seeing, it was just, you know, you can, you can connect. Um, and so it was very humanizing and, and heavy and went on in those ways. So we fast forward a little bit. Um, I spent a lot of time learning growing up, but during college on campus, I learned that there was an organization called Liberty in North Korea, and they held an event once where they hosted a North Korean refugee speaker. And I was just absolutely shocked by this. I had no idea that rescues were happening, that people were getting out. I was really curious as to how and um, how that was happening. And so this just 
completely blew my mind at the time. I was just totally awestruck by this. Um, and I really wasn't sure how to get involved or make an impact at the time, but in that moment, just committed to contributing however I could financially to support this organization once I had a job outside of college and whatnot. So my plan was just focus now, get a job, and I'll, I'll you know, get reconnected with this organization someday. And so eventually I did get a job. <laughs> and so it's been a fantastic journey working with them um, in whatever small ways that I can over the past few years. And so it's actually kind of ironic. They're doing a lot of things that I thought would be great ideas when I was a child, um, such as rescuing people. They've established a 3,000-mile secret route um, for people. Once they make it across the border, it's 3,000 miles get from China to Southeast Asia and then back to South Korea to safety, and it's extremely dangerous. They create a lot of media and creative content. Um, they're making documentaries and short videos, and and they also mobilize grassroots rescue teams and fundraisers, advocacy efforts. So um, they're really taking this from multiple angles. They have so much creativity in this and so much momentum, and it's really, really exciting to me that that they're just challenging the notion that it's hopeless and they're still fighting for change. Um, actually, it's really ironic or coincidental that we are having this talk today because today marks two years since or this week is exactly two years since my grandfather passed away um and so that's one reason why i spent a lot of time reviewing all these letters over the last couple of years um but one of the eulogies talked about the passion that my grandfather had for peacemaking and reunification too in ways that i might have tangentially knew but didn't quite realize until more recently but he actually was a delegate to North Korea and met Kim, Kim Il-sung at his palace um, to try to negotiate for peace and whatnot. And so that was a really big deal. Um, and in the eulogy, he actually said it was as thrilling as watching an Indiana Jones movie, how it was just this courageous journey that my grandfather took to North Korea. Um, but yeah, if I could quote, this as well. He said, Reverend Chan, your seed for love, peace, and unification of Korea that you planted 26 years ago in North Korea was not in vain, and they're just about to sprout. And so he also he also said that your dreams will be carried over by your wife, children, grandchildren, and their children for many generations to come. And so to me, that is, again, just a really powerful challenge, encouragement charter to keep on keeping on, <laughs> um, keep on fighting for peace there and reunification. Um, my goal with this knowledge, with these stories is to continue supporting organizations like Liberty North Korea that are fighting for real change, making a difference and actively, actively pursuing peacemaking. And so I'm doing what I can to keep my promise to my grandfather, keep learning from the history um, committed to sharing and passing down these stories to make sure that they aren't forgotten while changing the narrative, hopefully to one of humanity. So, yeah. Do you feel any kind of guilt about like how you were able to escape from this, but, but others weren't, um, being here in America, being, you know, able to do to, to live such a, you know, privileged life in comparison to the life that the mm -hmm. people so like close to you, um, or, or so similar to you are not able to live? Like, 
does that induce any feelings of shame or or is it is there some positive way that you're able to yeah right that is a great question again not I'm not perfect and so there's there's ways in which you know you could just kind of hear that and just hear like there's so many different issues going on in the world I can't do anything I am helpless I will then do nothing or you can hear there's so many different issues in the world let me do something because that's better than nothing and so I guess my thought with that is you know I try I try to do what I can here and now in America in the country that I live in and that's impacting the people that I know and love and also don't know and perhaps should still love um but I guess in terms of the proximity there too and Liberty North Korea is not only an organization full of Korean people or supported by Korean people. I think that's something that's really cool about them also is that they've been able to use media and narratives to be compelling across proximity or beyond proximity and whatnot. Um, But that being said, it's still an issue that not a lot of people are super, it's not top of mind. And so almost because of that, I feel like because it is top of mind for me sometimes, um, it is one that I would like to put some extra effort into just because if I don't, then who will? Um, and that's, I say that kind of somewhat facetiously because there are a lot of other people doing it. I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not doing anything to say North Korea um, myself. It's, it's an organization, it's a movement. And so it's just one that I hope to be a part of again, because it's in my blood, but also not only because it's in my blood um, because it's about justice and it's about civil rights and humanity and, that crosses borders, that crosses proximity and whatnot. So, so just do what you can. You know, there I was like, you know, fishing for, you know, guilt or, um, or shame or, or these negative feelings. But um, I think that you've done a lot of like positive processing in a way that, you know, precludes those feelings. Like, like I really liked the, like, if I don't, then who will? Um, it, it's a way of like looking at this as, as, where can I do the most good? Um, as opposed to like, where have I not yet done good? Like how many, like, how can I like find spaces where I'm uniquely positioned to do good? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that you are, um, you know, looking at it with that, that angle is really cool, especially from the like vantage point of peace, because what I think that Michael and I have noticed and like, that we will continue to be noticing as we do this podcast is that like self peace or peace within um, is, mm. is so, you know, connected to or so many parallels with peace in, in the world. Um, and so it's interesting to me that you've managed to find peace within and that fi- in finding peace within, you're able to seek peace um, outside rather than kind of the other way around of like, um, I don't have peace until there is peace in the world, um, which I just think is, is super interesting. I mean, what what I think you just said, Jacqueline, is so important and so needed because I think so many, especially young people in our generation, kind of we're bombarded with all the problems of the world and we're like, aha, so I, I don't even matter. Like, I, I can't do anything. Mm. Um I can't do anything that I'm going to see a difference about. I, my vote doesn't even change who, pre- who the president is. Uh, so, and then kind of, I give up. It's learned helplessness. Uh, and I'm just wondering how, cause you, it sounds like you're so connected 
in so many ways to being part of something that's bigger than yourself, to being part of an organization, recognizing that you have a role to contribute there, but other people are also doing it. And it's not just that you're going to save North Korea on your own, but it's that <laughs> you're part of many generations mm. and many uh, organizations who are like just continuing to struggle for peace. And I'm wondering how, how that came to be, how you came to connect with that perspective. I would say to both of you that it is still a complicated internal journey. <laughs> it's yeah. not something that I have solved and I've definitely been struggling with a lot over the past forever. Um, but <laughs> yeah, it, it, you know, it's, it's really, really, really challenging. Um, something I'd like to call out um, in terms of trying to maximize impact when I'm not kind of be faced with that helplessness that I still feel um, is I was at a protest um, for the Black Lives Matter movement and one of the speakers said something that has really resonated with me ever since, which is use your genius, use your genius, um, which what he meant by that is find the areas where you're going to have the most impact. And so um, maybe I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a policymaker, I'm not a politician and whatnot, but I have a workplace and I have maybe perhaps some amount of influence there that I can try to leverage or I have friends and family and trying to see where you can use your own personal strengths. And that's kind of where some of the creativity comes into of, you know, what, what are my assets that I can bring to the table for whatever issue that I am concerned about? Maybe it is that you just have a job and you have a little extra cash every month or whatnot that you can try to put somewhere meaningful to you and try to see, you know, do the research as to what's going to have the most impact. Um, and maybe even try to find organizations that don't have as much support or figure out where you're going to have the most impact. And it takes a little bit of research, it's kind of, you know, it takes a little bit of time. And another thing I would like to call out to you is that, you know, still addressing your questions on the guilt and shame of Aussie. Um, I wouldn't say that I'm just walking around living with a ton of guilt and shame. Hopefully I mean, that, that would be kind of challenging. Um, but when I do read these stories, when I do listen to these stories, when I reflect on it, I am, I feel devastation and, you know, and it, and it stirs up something in there and what I, you know, whatever those, those feelings are just for you, you have to channel it some way. I don't want to have them just fester in there. So it takes time to sit, sit with those and process them for sure. You have to let those negative emotions out somehow, but um, then trying to channel them into something creative and productive is just step number two. I was noticing throughout the story that learning and stories were kind of a big thing in kind of the movement of the story. Uh, I'm just wondering about that. I, it, it sounds like learning has been big on your path towards peacemaking. What do you think? That is also a really interesting question. I tend to be somebody who, to a fault, feels like I need to know everything about an issue before I can ever speak on it. And, you know, it's something I've been trying to figure out a little bit because I will never be an expert on all issues in the world. And so what does that mean about what I when I can actually use my voice? And it's a struggle. It's absolutely a struggle for me. And so 
yeah, I'm somebody who could just get lost in the learning and the details and whatnot and then never come up for air and then never do anything. But at the same time, I think what learning can can do is inform the values that are informing your decisions and beliefs um, and also building empathy. And so even if it's not a history book, like my grandfather's saying I should read all these history books um, to learn, like there's, there's still the stories that I want to carry with me and whatnot. I think that's something that you could do with any of these issues is um, expand the horizons of fiction that you're reading also, not only the details and the facts, which are also important to be educated on actual issues and actual matters that could change things. But um, I think there's a lot of room for fiction and stories as well to build that sort of empathy and lens into another person's existence. I really like that learning to inform your values. Mm rather than just learning the facts. I like that. Also, this is coming from somebody who works with data and numbers for a living, so I do love data and facts. <laughs> I don't <laughs> want to discount those. Um, so this is more of a finding, finding internal balance within myself issue, and so people might be on either end of that spectrum and whatnot, but I think the importance is valuing both. Yeah, one thing that that makes me think of now, too, is um, peacemaking being an act of creation and how... If you are somebody who does create creative works, then as you mm-hmm. are, Jacqueline, you like understand the feeling of like, when is when is something done? When is something <laughs> done? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> and it never feels um, like you've, you've finished. Right. Um, but right. eventually it's like, okay, I'm going to stop um, on mm-hmm. this one because I need to move on. But like, you never feel like you have accomplished a, a piece mm-hmm. of the work of art. Um, and, and another thing that's like a, a second kind of, metaphor that I'm thinking about is last year at our church, Jacqueline and I go to the same church we used to. I've now moved, but um devastating. There, right. <laughs> um th- there was this I don't even remember why, like I am was mildly confused about it the whole time. But they there was this painting that would um different artists would come up during like the church service. Um, and it was like on the wall, like so that you can kind of see it going on as the church service is going on. But some artist would be there working on this painting. Um, and it's just this massive painting um, on on one of the walls. And every week, somebody new would come and just kind of continue working on the painting where the like last person had left off. And I still have no idea why this was like, I, I must have missed the Sunday where they talked about it. <laughs> but they were, you know, just just a new person painting it and it was this thing and it was like, I don't know what this is going to become. I don't know where this is going. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's an interesting um, kind of picture of what you were just saying, Jacqueline, of like, like, I think that that is kind of what peacemaking looks like. Um, the goal is not to finish anything. It's to like right. create something new, like a new space, mm-hmm. a more like fleshed out space for the next person to come um, and do like, even more peacemaking in which is really interesting like I, I really like this new idea of peace as creativity and as like you know almost like a form of of artistic expression mm-hmm. one thing that I like to say often I don't know where I got this from I definitely did not come up with this saying but the way it goes is a non-artist looks at some creation or art and says I could have done that um, but an artist actually did so I think that <laughs> Mm. In, in terms of you know there's a, there's a lot of self-consciousness and a lot of well 
you know, I'm not, I'm not creative or I'm not natural at this. So I can't, um, like, how do I know when it's finished? Or, you know, people are going to look at this and know how much I am terrible at art. (laughs) Nobody ever actually really thinks that, um, in my experience, at least. And that's not to say that I'm a great artist. I'm definitely not, (laughs) but I do it. And so that's, that's the whole point is that I, part of my, um, challenge myself of just getting into the practice of making art regularly was you'll get to a point eventually where you can no longer say I'm not an artist because (laughs) you're just doing it and you're practicing it and so the same thing with peacemaking I guess is that if you're not doing it then you're not doing it but if you are committing to something at any level consistently or whatnot um there will be lasting impacts and eventually somebody will benefit from that and so in terms of knowing when an piece of artwork is done usually I'll work on something and I'll hate it for a while but then I'll just like sometimes I literally just like put it up on my wall and step away and then a couple days later I love it (laughs) that distance and whatnot I think can help and just realizing that you know we're our own worst critics or at least I am um and sometimes you have to kind of take a step back from that and recognize that our work is oftentimes for other people and not even if it's just encouraging somebody else to see themselves as creative um, or having that potential. Same with same with peacemaking. Yeah, I think that's really interesting, too, just because of this podcast and how, like, <laughs> one of the first reactions that somebody has when we want them to be on our podcast exactly. <laughs> is like, I don't I'm not a peacemaker. Right. Like, that's not something that I do. Um, that was the exact yet... process I went through. <laughs> Right, right. Um, and, and what you just described about art is right, it's the same. Right. And that's honestly why I ultimately agreed to be on because I was recognizing this is this has very strong parallels because when you first brought this up, I was thinking, no, I just have conflict with pizza. <laughs> um, which is not not true. It's just um you know, it's it's hard sometimes to believe in yourself for these things or you know, it's it's challenging. And so because one of my goals is to help other people believe in themselves as creative. I was encouraged by you trying to believe in other people as peacemakers. And, and that seems to be part of your goal as well here is getting people to look internally and see ways in which they have. And, you know, it's important to have that, that inner belief as well in yourself as having the potential to make a difference in order to actually do it. So I appreciate that as well. The, the image of peacemaking is an act of creativity is just resonating even more with me now because of the <laughs> self-criticism, like the, mm. the barrier of being like, well, I, I like, I can try, but I'm going to fail or like, I'm going to do it. And people are going to mm-hmm. look at it and be like, that's not peace or that's not peacemaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all these things that mm-hmm. are mostly in our own head. But of course people do look at what you do. Like they look at your mm-hmm. creations. Um, and they evaluate And it. you've put it out in the world, which is, uh, it's hard to, I mean, uh, just do it. It's hard to do it. And I was actually thinking about it from another level of the podcast, from us. Like, this is this is also our creation that we have to put in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a lot of, right. like, when is it good enough? And, mm-hmm. and It's a lot of vulnerability yes, and exposure. Right. And I love mm-hmm. thinking about peacemaking as vulnerable, as something mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. scary and... Um, putting yourself out there in that way. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about it that way before. Right. Absolutely. I absolutely think it's vulnerable. Um, 
it is extremely scary to take a stand <laughs> and, um, and to believe in hope because a lot of people will think that you're silly and a lot of people will think that it's a waste of time. And a lot of people will look at whatever happens and says, well, that was a total failure or that didn't turn out exactly the way that I hoped for. And so similarly with creativity and whatnot and everything that's going to create something new is that you have to experiment you have to iterate. And so, you know, you, you might not get it right the first time and there might be things that you learn um, it's similar with analytics. <laughs> I say this all the time is that you have to iterate if you're building a predictive model or whatnot, you're not going to get it right the first time. You have to go in with your hypotheses and you have to test them and, and it might be messy and it might take some time. It might take generations, but I think the important thing there is that you try and you learn and then you pivot and you make it better. So it's not just kind of getting stuck in these traps of <laughs> messing everything up, but, um, you know, it's that iter iterative process that's important in all these different realms. Peacemaking is creativity. <laughs> and it's it's what you said, you know, a, a non-artist looks at it and says, I could do that, but an artist did it. A non-peacemaker looks at it and is like, that, that wasn't what I wanted to happen. But a peacemaker made something happen. Tell me, tell me, tell me what's a life? I've been feeling starstruck, seeing human love thriving. This really long dust, guess it's really our love. Seven billion of us, and I read the headlines. Tell me, tell me, tell me what's a life? It's part luck, surveillance, constructive conscience, hot sauce, blood diamonds. Everybody pitching in forks red with silence. We already ate up that cone bread of kindness. Oh, it's something in between We got stories in our stories Knowing stories what it seems As we stumble, as we fall We watch each other and we scream If our weaknesses are glory It's more glory to be seen This has been the Peacemakers Podcast Produced and hosted by me, Obasi Shah And my co-host, Michael O'Brien The intro and outro song, What's a Life Is by me and produced by Eerie Skies The interludes are produced by Gabe Gladstein Of the pop duo, Running On Everything if you liked this episode and want to reflect more, come visit our website at principlesofpeacemaking.org, where you can find more of our content and information on how to support us. Our guest today was Jacqueline Burge. Thanks, Jacqueline. And thank you for listening. Now go and make peace. <laughs>